Well, we're working through the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, excuse me, on the discourses, we finished the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, what was the main idea of the Sermon on the Mount? I'm going to be real interactive today. You know why? Because the first service was sound asleep. And I'm like, oh, this ain't happening again. All right, third graders and under are dismissed to class. I'm glad they always put that screen up because I never remember to say it. But uh, uh, so, so what was the main idea of, of the uh, Sermon on the Mount? Well, that is a great summary. Your righteousness must surpass that of the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. What did that mean? That meant that their, their righteousness was an external righteousness. It was a behavioral modification. It was just clean up your act and you're good. And Jesus said, no, that's not how it works. You've got to have a new heart, a heart of righteousness that Christ gives you upon faith in Jesus Christ. And so then the outward behavior changes because the inward heart has changed. And so trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then he will declare you righteous, give you credit for Jesus' perfections, give you a new heart filled with the Spirit of God that then results in different behavior, which is righteous behavior. So then he says, now, you disciples, this is last week, second discourse in Matthew, he says, you disciples, all of you, I saved you in order to send you. Like every one of you is sent. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I've commanded to you, commanded you to do it. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus told us all last week, if you claim to be a disciple, then you are a missionary. And a lot of times we think missionaries are, those, are the Lewises in Africa, and they are missionaries. But guess what? Every single but every single person who has been saved has been sent as a missionary. We all are to live our lives on mission. Yes, that includes you, everyone who is a saved believer in Jesus Christ. And so now we see in this message, in his sermon, he starts to think about what are they going to face as they start to go out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you, if you take us seriously... What are you going to face? Because let me, before you answer that, you can think about that. We have built in action steps every week into our study guides. These are out there. They're on our website. Thursday, this comes out preceding the sermon so that you can go in and do the sermon questions, which are just digging through the text of Scripture. So you come in here, you have a more rich experience interacting with the Word. But when you see something, the same thing over and over, you kind of start to gloss over it. Don't gloss over this action step on the front page. That is because we do not want to sit here and talk about being on mission just for the sake of talking about being on mission we want you to be on mission. We want you to take steps of action. We, as we come in here to study the scriptures to equip you to be on mission. So this week's mission st uh, action step says discuss in group this week who you can share the gospel with, where you can go to be a light in darkness, when will you go, have the group pray for you, earnestly pray for one another this week. And so your community group is meant to be your encouragement, to spur you on to, the, to obedience. And so if you're not in a community group and you want to be in a group, you want to be a guest, you want to try it out, you want to have some people encouraging you, ask Kevin Wilsey, say, hey, can I be in a group? And we'll, we'll let you be a guest in a group. Uh, and then that'll lead into connection group where you can decide if you want to join or not. Uh, you can go on our website and there's a little get connected, fill out a form, just say, hey, I'd like to check out a group. But we want everyone to have people in their life encouraging obedience in their life. 
So we really do mean this. We really want us to go out and be on mission for Christ. Now, as you go out, what do you expect is going to happen? Let's just start out easy. What? Someone said something. Say it again. I'm sorry. Opposition. Opposition. Granger gave the secret away during his time, telling everybody we're going to face persecution. But that's exactly right. I think all of us will admit that when we picture ourselves going out, if you think, picture yourself at the workplace, at the coffee pot, saying something about Jesus, if you're on the soccer team and this weekend you're at the game and you're talking to your team afterwards and you talk about Jesus and you say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus, not everybody is going to respond positively. In fact, a lot of people are going to respond negatively. And so what Jesus is doing is he says, listen, behold, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. I mean, just think about what he is saying. First of all, behold is alert. And then he says, I as the shepherd of sheep, sheep are not the sharpest animals in the kingdom, animal kingdom. And he says, you sheep who are not real bright, who need me to shepherd you to food, I'm sending you among wolves. Wolves are the worst enemies of sheep. And so he's saying, listen, behold, as I send you out with this gospel on mission, I'm sending you right into the heart of the enemy. And then the next verse 17, so beware of how they're going to treat you. So today, this whole message is on be aware of what you're going to face as you head out on mission. And he says, I want you to, to, to behave this way. When you go in this middle of the pack of wolves, I want you to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And he's using metaphors to just basically say, I want you to be wise enough to realize that you're heading into the middle of wolves, that you're going to have persecution, and to be, to be wise and shrewd. And, and you're going to see later in the text, he says, now if you, as you experience persecution in one town, town flee to the next. That's okay. And then we've already seen where he said, don't throw your your treasures, your pearls before swines. When you see they're not receiving it and they're about to turn and attack, it's okay. Don't stand there and beat your head against the brick wall. Be wise, but be innocent. Be above reproach. Be pure in your behavior. Do not let any accusations made against you stand because your life is so above reproach that nobody would believe it. And so be wise, but also be innocent. And so he says, listen, I need you to, to know you're heading out to persecution, but I want you to be very wise in the way you behave. And so today's text, he's going to give us points of wisdom, wisdom for our mission, because I want you to know we are going to increase the pressure on you. It's coming. We are sending you out to make disciples. And if you're in community group, you're going to be pushed out to go make disciples. And so you need to know, remember, we're sitting at Jesus' feet. We're being equipped. So here is wisdom for the mission. Father God, help us this morning. Equip us this morning. May we take it seriously. May we get out of just Sunday mode where we come, we listen, and we go. May we realize that this is a time of equipping, that you have called us to go. You have sent everyone you have saved you have sent us out, and may we realize that you have sent us into the heart of persecution among wolves. 
And once we realize that, may we be open to being equipped and taught the wisdom we need for the mission. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so today we're going to look at chapter 10, verse 16 through 25, and we're looking for wisdom for the mission. The first piece of wisdom he says to us is expect persecution. Expect persecution. Now, if, if you head out in the world and you're just oblivious, and maybe we do this when we're young, if you head out in the world spewing the name of Jesus and you don't expect persecution, as soon as you experience persecution, you're going to be caught off guard. You're going to be set back. You're going to be unprepared. You're not going to be ready for it, and it may cause you to stumble and may hinder your witness. So he says, I don't want you to go in unaware. So he says, beware, verse 17, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And so what Jesus is going to do, we're going to look at three different passages where he talks about the persecution that they're going to face. And what I think he's doing here is he's spanning the the course of history. He's going to talk about persecution that the first disciples experienced right after Jesus died, was buried. He rose from the grave before he ascended into heaven. He sent them the spirit of God and he says, now go and do what I've been doing. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he gave them the spirit. And he's still going to talk about what they're going to face. Those first Jewish converts faced persecution by Jews. That's, chapter, that's verse 17. And then in verse 18, he's going to talk about the next phase of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. This is basically tracking through the book of Acts. Acts the, the outline of Acts is the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria. That's from Jews to Gentiles and Jews. And then to the ends of the earth. The end of your Acts ends in Rome. That's the ends of the earth. That's completely Gentiles. And so as you see the movement of the gospel, the spread of the gospel from Jews to Jewish Gentiles to Gentiles, you see as the gospel spreads, persecution spreads. And so he's saying, listen, from now until the time I return, expect persecution. Let's work through it. Verse 17, be aware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. The courts and synagogues and flogging, that's all Jewish. It's talking about the Jewish persecution. So he says this, and then in Acts 4.1, we read that's exactly what happened. Peter and John were the early disciples after Jesus, and it says that they were taking, taken to the priests and the religious rulers. Look at verse four, verse one of chapter four of Acts. It says, as they were speaking to the people, the priests, that's the Jewish leaders, and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Why? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, how dare them? How dare them proclaim the good news that you can be raised from the dead? How offensive, how prison worthy, how worthy of being flogged to tell someone, good news, you don't have to die. You can defeat death. And yet it evokes this visceral response. And we see in in verse 3, they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. So here we see the first glimpse of what Jesus is speaking about. He has his disciples, and he says, listen, I've sent you, all of you, go with the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. 
But understand, I'm sending you into a pack of wolves. Expect persecution. These Jewish rulers, as you Jews, the few of you who will, will convert and believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. The rest of the Jewish community is not going to receive it well. They are going to persecute you. They are going to bring you to their synagogues, their courts, and they're going to flog you. They're going to flog you and punish you and, and imprison you, even though you don't know that, even though what you're saying is Good news. But he says, expect it so that when you go out, you're not caught off guard. And it's exactly as Jesus said. And as you continue to read Acts, you see many times Jesus' followers were persecuted because Jesus said, I fulfilled the, the Jewish law. I fulfilled the Mosaic law. And as they stopped participating in uh, the Jewish customs and traditions, they were flogged. If you, didn't take, if you didn't eat the right dietary laws, if you, if you didn't obey the Sabbath, then you were punished. And so they experienced persecution, all kinds of persecution by their own Jewish people. When they turned to the Jewish Messiah, those who did not believe persecuted them. In verse 18, we see the second stage of persecution Jesus mentions. And this is the Gentiles. He said, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Now notice, this is very interesting when you think about what he is saying. He's saying, you'll be dragged before the Gentile kings, but notice he says, for my name's sake, and notice he says, to, and in order to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So here we see, expect persecution after the gospel goes from Jews and starts to move to the Gentiles, or the Jews who are reigned over by Gentile rulers, he says, expect persecution, but understand this persecution has a purpose. I want you to witness on this incredible platform to these these Gentile rulers. I want them to hear the gospel. So I'm going to have persecution put you right on stage where you can testify to these Gentile rulers. And it's all going to be for my name's sake. And so we see this happening, and you keep reading through the book of Acts, many examples of it. In Acts 18, verse 12, we read about Paul standing before the Gentile ruler. In verse 12, it says, But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man, how dare him, listen to his crime, this man is persuading people to worship God. And that's why... They want to kill him. That's why they want to put him in jail. It's because he's persuading people to worship God. If you go to the book of Acts and you read chapter 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, like I did this week, it's just an incredible picture of of what Jesus said would happen is happening to a man named Saul. You know who Saul is. Saul was one of the greatest, most famous Jewish Men who were persecuting people who turned to the Jewish Messiah. He was a persecutor of the church. And he was vehemently against them. He got special permission from the the rulers and said, let me go get him. I'm going to stamp out this heresy. And so he tracked them down. He beat them. He imprisoned them. And on his way one time, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to him and he became a believer. And so his name was changed to Paul. And so Paul became one of the greatest missionaries for the gospel. He was saved and he was sent, just like all of us. And in these verses, chapter 20, these chapters, chapter 23 through 28, we see his amazing story. 
And he was put in prison and he was beat. And one night when he was in the barracks, chapter 23, 11, tells us that Jesus came to him. The Lord came to him in prison, in the barracks. And listen to what he said to him. He said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. And so Paul is in prison for testifying in Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem in prison. And Jesus comes to him and says, take heart. You're going to end up all the way in Rome testifying to my my gospel. And that's exactly what happens. That chapter 23 through 28 records the story. Paul goes from one Gentile ruler to another. Ananias to Felix to Festus to King Agrippa. And finally he appeals to Caesar, which means he's got to go to Rome. And so he has a whole massive journey getting on ships, getting shipwrecked and all this terrible life that's happened to him, but all of it had a plan. He's going to Rome to testify. And then in chapter 28, verse 23 of Acts, it says he's in Rome and listen to what he's doing. Exactly what Jesus said he would do from morning till evening, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the king of God, to the kingdom of God, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So he had his Old Testament scriptures And all this persecution drove him to the courts, to another court, to another court. And every time he's on trial, he's telling the gospel of Jesus Christ. One trial after another, he appeals to Caesar. He gets all the way to Rome, and he gets to Rome, and he opens his Old Testament, and he says, all of this is about Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And verse 24 says, some were convinced by what he said but others disbelieved. And that's how it works. This is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, if you represent me and you stand for me, expect to be persecuted. But not only expect persecution, but embrace it. Understand that God has a good plan and purpose for you being persecuted for his name's sake. That God says, I'm going to move you here. I'm going to fan the flames of the gospel of the kingdom of God through persecution. And you see the story of Acts. As they were persecuted, they fled from one city to another. But wherever they went, they took the gospel with them. And that's how it's reached us today. It wasn't through some clean, sterile process. It was through persecution that the gospel of Jesus Christ has brought you here today. And it doesn't stop. It better not stop with us. So he says, take courage as you testify about me. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, Paul himself speaks about his own persecution, just how incredibly persecuted, all the different varieties of persecution that he faced. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, he says this. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and he's not talking about smoking dope. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, danger, danger, danger. If you stand for Jesus, expect Persecution. Jesus' disciples, 
as they spread the gospel, so persecution spreads. Finally, we see the third stage of the history of persecution that Jesus is tracing through. It's a little trickier, requires some judgment interpretation. But in verse 21 through 23, I think he's talking about the final stage of persecution that led to the destruction of Rome in AD 70, but it's also foreshadowing the final stages of persecution when Christ, the Son of Man, as Daniel 7 calls him, returns. Listen to what he says. He says, brother will deliver brother over to death. That's personal family members. Brother deliver brother over to death. The father his child. Children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, these words of brothers betraying brothers are allude to Micah 7, 6, which is a passage that refers to the time when Christ returns and the last day, the extreme persecution and turmoil that will precede that. And verse 6 and 7 says, for the, this is from Micah 7, 6 and 7 says, For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So what Jesus is saying is don't expect this to go away. As long as you stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, expect to be persecuted. Don't be surprised by it. In fact, expect it. In fact, embrace it. Doesn't mean be a, a masochist. Don't mean it doesn't mean look for it. it. Doesn't mean careless recklessness, but just be wise and know it's coming. And in fact, embrace it knowing that it's part of God's plan for you. That God is going to use it to do great things. That God is going to use that to fan the flames of the gospel. God is going to purify a lot of things through the, the trials and the fire of persecution. He says, this is my plan. Brace for it. Be prepared. If you're going to go out, if you're going to take what we're talking about seriously, if we're going to take Jesus' word seriously, and you're going to go out and you're going to start talking about Jesus in your family, get ready. If you're going to talk about Jesus at the workplace, on the, on the soccer team, on the lacrosse team, if you're going to talk about it in your neighborhood, you're going to talk about it in your schools, in your classrooms, during the lunch break, get ready. It's about to get real. And so is your faith about to get real. So he's saying, expect persecution until the day Christ returns. It is a fact. Now, why is that? Why are we persecuted for our good news that you can have eternal life after death, that death has no sting on you, that if you trust in Christ, you are forgiven? Why in the world are we persecuted for such a wonderful message? Verse 17 you're persecuted for my name's sake, Jesus says. Verse 22, you will be hated by all, every kind of person for my name's sake. Verse 25, if they call you the master, if they called him the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? It's not about you. There's a spiritual war going on. And the enemy absolutely does not want one single more convert. That's why when you say Jesus, it just evokes reaction from people. 
We must not be caught off guard. It is to be expected. This week on Twitter, I saw an article. Some of the members I saw liked the article as well. Here's the title of the article. Tony, it's by Bruce Ashford. It's entitled, Tony Dungy, Nick Foles, and the Emerging Trend of Christian Shaming. In the article, Ashford talks about Tony Dungy coming under tremendous fire for saying that Foles' faith was a significant factor in confidence and performance during the Super Bowl. How dare him say something so awful? He gets paid as an NBC commentator to give his opinion about what's going on in the field, and he says, well, I think Nick Foles' faith gave him confidence and helped him in his performance in the Super Bowl. And people went ballistic. How dare him say that? One Twitter response was, it's unbelievable you would use your employer at NBC Sports to spout this nonsense on the air. And for days, it became the big news. Everyone's talking about how dare Tony Dungy could bring up such ridiculous comments of faith. And then the article goes on to talk about how... uh, Christians are mocked when they call for a day of prayer after the Las Vegas shootings, after uh, police murders, after tragedies, when, when Christians say we need to all, our nation should come to our knees and pray, and how they are mocked and said that this is just a, an avoiding the issue instead of acting upon it. But Ashford goes on and reminds Christians we should expect this. He says, since, quote, our beliefs are deeply held convictions that should shape our identities, organize our lives, and motivate us to be good neighbors and citizens. If you allow the teachings of God to shape your identity, to organize your life, and to set your priorities, you will be hated. You will be shamed. You will be persecuted. You will be mocked. You will be ostracized. And as the days go on, we just may see it get worse and worse. Expect persecution. We shouldn't be caught off guard. We should expect it, and we should even embrace it. And I think as this text goes on, I found as I thought about it more deeply, what is he doing? He's trying to embolden us. He's not saying, hey, expect persecution. Be afraid. He's saying, beware, be wise. Embrace persecution. It's coming, but I have a good plan for it. So expect persecution as you head out. But he doesn't just say expect persecution, leave us there. He also says, I want you to expect help. Look at verse 19 and 20. We see we should also expect the help of God. In verse 19, he says, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you well in advance. Everybody's awake? It's not what he says, unfortunately. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, just in time inventory method. Don't care for that. Would rather know well in advance, but that's not how it works. But he says, I will give you what you need in that hour. 
For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Isn't that interesting? Think about what he's saying here. You're persecuted for his name's sake. It's not you they hate. It's not you they're persecuting. And it's not you who's talking. It's not you who answers. It's the Jesus in you they hate. It's the Jesus in you they're persecuting. And it's the Jesus in you who's going to talk to them. So don't worry about it. I got this. It's not about you. Get over yourself is what he's saying. So the Spirit of the Father will be speaking through you. So don't worry about what you're going to say. Now, that doesn't mean don't prepare. That doesn't mean don't study. In 2 Peter 1.5, it says, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So be diligent. Study. Be above reproach. Know the gospel. Know how to defend the gospel. Know how to to explain that this is the reliable, trustworthy word of God. And that's why you've built your life around it. And that's why you believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Can you defend the faith? Can you explain the gospel? This week in the study guide, on question number 10, we have two links that you can go to. Two of them. They tell you both. One is how to share the gospel when someone's in a difficult situation. Another is just a simple way to explain the gospel. Equip yourself, but know that as you equip yourself, as you memorize scriptures, as you understand the plans and purposes of God, and you see yourself in light of that, and he becomes your identity, and you organize your life around the teachings of the word of God, and you start stepping out in faith, and you start speaking the name of Jesus, and you start telling people to trust in Jesus, know that when they persecute you, God will be there with you, and he'll give you everything you need that he wants to accomplish. You can trust him. Expect him to show up. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. The spirit of God, in the book of Acts, you see the whole idea of Acts is Jesus is leaving. It's time for us to step up, but he's given us his spirit to extend and continue the ministry of Jesus. And as we go, the spirit provides whatever we need. Expect God will help. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus calls the Spirit the Helper. He says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance, indicating you've already known and memorized it, but you have learned the Word of God, he will bring to your remembrance all that he has said to you, all the Word of God that you have been memorizing and studying and reading and preparing, that at that moment that you step out in scary faith, just at the nick of time, he's going to give you what to say. You ever experienced that? It's terrifying and wonderful all at the same time. He's talking and you're going, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to say. God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. That's probably what I'm praying the whole time. God, help me, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. And then I just start talking and verses come out. Verses that I didn't even remember memorizing, but I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Expect his help. You are God's plan. 
you're it. Sorry. It's us. We feel so ordinary, but God has an extraordinary mission for our life to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In fact, we read in the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Listen to this. God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. He gives us what we need. He gives us the words in that hour. Do you believe God? We can expect persecution. We can expect help. And praise God, finally, we can expect to endure. Look at verse 22, the second part of verse 22. You will be hated for all, by all, by all kinds of men. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, sometimes we read that and we don't see any comfort in that. Well, that's scary. But I think from the whole counsel of the word, we can find great comfort in that. Because what this says is that those who are truly going to be saved, those who are truly in the hand of God, those who have truly been born again, have that new heart, who are going to be saved, every single ordinary plain old Jane and plain old John believer will endure to the end. No matter how extreme the persecution he puts you in, you will not recant Jesus. I've seen stories of Christian martyrs, and I sit there and watch, and I think, oh, God, help me. I would never be that brave. But the scripture says, yes, you will. All of his true children, the Spirit of God, will make sure that you persevere, that you endure to the end. So expect to endure. Don't be afraid to step out thinking, I may not be strong enough. I may not be brave enough. I may not know the Bible enough. I may not have the best faith that's strong enough. Stop making excuses. Trust Jesus. Step out and present the gospel and open our mouths and share the glory of God and share the scriptures and identify with what he's talking about. And he will make sure you are successful. In the book of Hebrews, we read these terrible things that Hebrews eleven thirty two 32, that happened to all the saints throughout the ages. The writer of Hebrews says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and, and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. And he says in verse 33, Who through faith conquered kingdoms. Through faith, they enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and my favorite, through faith, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing by faith to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging by faith, even chains and imprisonment. Others were stoned and were sawn in two, and they were killed with a sword. Others went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. 
wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. God took ordinary people and through the Spirit of God gave them extraordinary faith to endure all this horrible persecution. These weren't different than us. They were spirit-filled, ordinary believers who took God His word and God made them extraordinary. To help us endure, we must learn the word of God. We must know the plans and purposes. We must know that he has promised that not one will slip out of his hands, that the spirit seals us and guarantees us, that he ensures that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that he promises he is coming again, and that if we die in faith, then it's only a transition to eternal life, and that one day we'll have resurrected bodies, that we don't fear death, we don't fear man, we don't have fear, we're not dominated by fear, that we live by faith. But we've got to know the word of God because that's what God uses to empower us. The spirit of God takes the word of God and reminds us of his promises and gives us the words to say. Let God make us extraordinary men and women of God. In verse 24 and 25, it brings it to a great summary at the end. A disciple is not above his teacher, A servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, a servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his house? If Jesus is your teacher, if Jesus is your master, if Jesus is your dad, why do you expect to be treated any better than he was treated? He offered eternal life, and he was mocked, And he was killed and crucified for it. And he says, now, if you believe I am the son of God, follow me. Do what I've done and expect the same kind of treatment. But I'll be with you every step of the way. I'll give you what you need. We're on a mission. Jesus had a vision of the whole world, a new heavens and a new earth filled with believers bringing glory and honor to him. And he says, I'm making my appeal through you. Be bold, be brave, be strong, expect persecution, but expect his help and expect to be faithful in the end. Let's pray. God, we do ask that you'd make us bold witnesses for you. Would you overcome our timidity, our fears, our fear of man and wanting to be accepted and thought highly of him in the world, Lord. Would you, would you prepare us, equip us to expect persecution, but to expect your help and to expect to endure to the end and expect you to do great things. May we be like those we see in Hebrews, ordinary men and women of faith. The gospel turned them to extraordinary witnesses for you. May you turn us into extraordinary, ordinary people into extraordinary witnesses for Jesus. For your name's sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.